shoot welcome back to dangerous rhetoric folks um before i jump into it as always i'll remind you please like comment subscribe definitely comment we like to hear people's thoughts and feedback on the episode um and that that excites us and we like to do premieres as well so if you're sitting here watching the premiere please uh participate in the chat we love that and if you want to help support us um you can donate you can give us crypto you can give us regular fiat currency and all that good stuff we will take links the money. in the description dm for crypto donations links in the description we got to get like a subscribe star up too or something like that so people can like have like a you know a fixed amount maybe if they want to do something like that that would be great with all that said today we are joined once again by the based problematic grifter gothics thank you very much oh, thank you for inviting me i have to update my title on twitter because that sounded much better than what i have all right thank Thanks. you problematic grifter yes so you know for those who haven't seen we had gothics on before i think that was like episode 43 or something like that so that was at the beginning of the year it's crazy that i think it's like nine ten months so have many episodes since then so in that episode we went a bit into your backstory and how you know you walked away from the left or we should say maybe pushed away from the left so if anyone's interested more in gothics's backstory and how she ended up where she is today as a political social commentary from being a streamer go watch that first episode we went into a lot of interesting things in that um but yeah today we'll maybe touch on some of those previous topics like abortion and things like that but i think the first thing that i want to jump into and talk about was this recent debate that you moderated that was put on by the walk away movement and organized by Brandon Straka. And it was- Bravo, a, by, bravo the way. by the Great way, job. Thank you, thank you. That, that, that was, it was a real challenge. And that, it was a nice lengthy debate as well. And I found it very um, just insightful. There was a lot to chew on. And it was basically a battle between the, you know, black leftists and some black rightists or conservatives and them kind of discussing the major issues in you know about race in the country today so black lives matter you know policing um the family unit and family values reparations things like that and i wanted to hear more of your thoughts and reflections about that debate because obviously you were moderating so it wasn't your place really to weigh in on those topics it was just your place to kind of make sure everyone was you know being cordial with each other and not going over time but how did that come about um how did you like get invited to do that? And what were your thoughts about that whole event? Do you think it went well? Yeah, I think the event went really well. Uh, Brandon reached out to me and I told him that I had, I'm not good at doing actual debates, like participating in it. I feel like I need some time to chew on a, a question, really think about my answer. Maybe I have to write it down. So I wouldn't be good in those situations anyway. Um, but as far as moderating, I had never done it before, but he thought that I would bring some type of uh, a different look to, I guess, the right. Because I think often when people think of conservatism or being on the right, it's sort of like you get this image in your head of what that looks like. And I think that that might be part of the problem of why there's so much... Uh, a division between political lines is you, you look on the left, you think one thing, you look on the right, it's like, okay, 
everyone's like i don't know i don't, I don't know what they imagine but i i imagine, they imagine they're all white <laughs> yeah, that, okay they see and christian and suit wearing yeah, nationalist that, and some of that is true but kicked off the boxes yeah um and um and i wanted to participate because i'm like yeah I'll, I'll do it i have the perspective of both sides too where it's like, I think it's very interesting to see how people on the left still uh, come to their conclusions and then see how those conclusions could eventually evolve into something else. Um, yeah, so I, I had a great time. Well, you said you had never done it before. That's not totally true. The first, you know, the first time I came across you was because of a debate you hosted on your channel, which was why we invited you on the show to begin with. And that featured uh, Christian Watson, Michael Moreno, mm -hmm. and um, a couple other, I think they were um, some woke um, professors, I think. I think they were, they were college professors. And they were white, too, which was interesting because they were, you know, arguing for CRT and then you had you and like Christian arguing against CRT. I, th I think Carlin Boroshenko is also part of that. Yeah. Um, See, um, I memory hold that. So I didn't even remember. <laughs> I remember you thinking it was rather like a train wreck, but I still found it fascinating. And I sat through that entire thing and watched the whole thing. And that was why I ended up inviting Christian on the show and, and how we came across you and invited you on. So Wow. You have a bit of experience moderating. Wow. Yeah. But as you can see in that debate that you just mentioned, I was laughing the entire time because I'm just like, this is ridiculous. The whole concept yeah. of two black people arguing against CRT to two white people is just ridiculous anyway. It was, it was entertaining. <laughs> it really is like like parody brought to life. Yeah. Like it's one of those those things where, you know, life imitates art. You're just like, this is so ironic that your brain just wants to explode. Mm -hmm. So before we went on, you know, and we started, Brent mentioned, you know, during during the debates that how often you had to say, you know, time, time, you know, you have to remind people when they're going too far or like they're about to run out of time to have the response. Rain them in a little bit when and they're on their rants. I definitely <laughs> noticed you had to do that more for the people on the left than the people on the right. I don't know if it's just they took longer to get their point across or if they just really wanted to like, I don't know, just go as long as possible and push that boundary. Well, that's, but that's, that's, it was that's just something what, I noticed. That's yeah. what leftists do, right? They, they're constantly brushing up against the boundaries that some of them want to get rid of the boundaries altogether. You know, if the leftists had their way, they would be the only one at that event being able to speak yeah. their piece at all. Well, he, here are the people on the panel, by the way, just, you know, to let everyone in the audience know. So, on, you know, on the left side, we had Robert Patillo, M. Reese Everson, and Rashad Singleton. And then from the right wing side, we had Shamika Michelle. Love her. She's great. Um, Delano Squires and Malik Abdul. I, I found him incredibly poised and very Actually, I want to invite him on the show. I, he, he was very interesting to me. You know, but do, do you think that's true? Do you feel like you have to kind of moderate the left side a little bit? <laughs> oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And the thing is, too, it's like we, we were talking about it behind stage uh, before we got on. And the questions were, are we going to be a little bit flexible with the time? Like if there's some good rigorous conversation going back and forth, would I allow the time to go a little more? And we, we had to, for the most part, be very strict because if we allowed everyone to just say their piece for like five minutes straight it would have been like a five hour long debate yeah um so it so it really just came down to like at my discretion if if i felt like you're actually getting to the point then then i would you know i would let you you know a few more seconds just to finish up your sentence 
But I think it was more prevalent on the left because and no disrespect to any of the panelists. I really applaud everyone from com coming yeah. together and to say their piece because that takes a lot of balls to it do does. that. Um, but I, I, I got this impression that uh, it was more of like theatrics with the left. Um, and this is something that I notice even when I'm just engaging in, in civil debate online, not even in an official debate setting where it's it's more theatrics, it's more uh, pulling on the heartstrings, it's more feelings, it's, yes. it, it, it's like a script, whereas on the right, it's here's this data, here's how it's affecting us today, um, and let me give you some examples of, of what we can do to like solve this issue yeah. that doesn't rely on emotional manipulation. They, they would, they also on the right, they tended to like, you know, when their time ran out, one of the things I noticed, um, they would stop. And then later on, if they had a chance, they would try to return to a point that they didn't get to wrap up when their time finished, which I thought was, you know, more respectful. They were only trying to take the amount of time that was allotted to them, even if it meant maybe having less time to answer a different question, just to return to another point. You mentioned the emotion thing, you know, pulling on the heartstrings. I agree with you there. Um, there's only one who I felt didn't do that so much, but the really tall guy, who was him? Who's uh, he? Was that, that was Rashad. Rashad. He was definitely doing that. And then I think it was Emery Severson, right? She was the other woman on the panel. Man, just almost like every response she she gave, I felt like she was always bringing up the lynching of black people, like constantly just evoking that imagery and trying to just pull on the heartstrings. And every time she would do that, you know, Malik would respond and just be like, Malik and, and Delano, they would just be like, you know, well, we're talking about the present. Yeah. You know, like that is the past. And their response is, well, you can't talk about the present without acknowledging the past, which there's a point to that. Sure. But the thing with the left and, you know, the whole woke ideology that I noticed is there, there's a fixation on the past. And even the word woke is past tense of wake. Yeah. It's just something interesting <laughs> to note there. It's past tense of wake. They're, they are not awake in the present. They are fixated on the past. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And sure, to some degree, you have to address the past before moving on. Uh -huh. We did. We're aware. We understand. Now what? The issue is they just they just want to marinate in that. And what's crazy to me is a lot of people that um, bring up these points about how black people are oppressed and they can't get ahead in America. Most of these people are very well off for themselves. And to me, it seems very... Uh, contradicting for you to stand up there and say that black people can't make it when you yourself are living proof of that and i think it would be more beneficial for you to uh direct a conversation to okay this is how i did it this is how you can do it too yeah. because if i were to ask these people how is white supremacy and systemic racism affecting you today they'll usually bring up from my experience they'll bring up some type of something that happened to them personally but then they missed the part of okay you overcame that so what are we talking about yeah yeah i mean i'll give them a little leeway here and perhaps they're not so much arguing that black people can't make it and more so arguing that there are all these obstacles in the way for them making it but you know how many of those obstacles are just windmills that you're erecting and fighting off there. They're not real obstacles because you can bring up your personal experience. Sure. But for every, you know, black person who brings up that personal experience that they felt held the Mac, there are others who bring up that 
that wasn't their experience, right? And right. Um, I forgot who, I think it was Delano Squires, he brought up, you know, I, I grew up in, in Southside Chicago and New York City, and I lived in all these places. And that wasn't my experience. You know, when, when I walked down the street, I wasn't being chased by KKK members and that sort of thing. And then, you know, they bring up the black on black crime issue as well, which, yes, we know there's crime within any demographic. You know, most white people are going to commit crimes against other white people and most whatever group that, you know, Latinos, they'll commit crimes against other Latinos. That's what happens when you have a bunch of people grouped together in a place and there's poverty and that sort of thing. But when they bring this up, they're not bringing it up to try to dismiss those points. They're bringing it up to acknowledge there's, there's a cultural issue happening here. Um, for example, there was another rapper shot recently. Try to remember his name. He was, you know, a member of Migos. And this is something that we're really not acknowledging. Every time this comes up, you know, maybe they'll talk about the guns and, and that's what they try to say is the problem here that we need more limitations on guns. But it for me, it very much seems like there's a cultural issue that is not being addressed. The glorification of the gang violence and the and you know the street life and all of that stuff. And who benefits from that? Don't you know? get me started on Chicago, though, because they're they were dropping, they were doing hot drops of crates of weapons in Chicago multiple times over the past couple of decades. So th and this is a story that got scrubbed from the internet. So the the violence in Chicago, I think, is being definitely artificially stimulated, just like how they're you're, they're doing it across the board with these Soros installed DAs. They want more crime. Tinfoil hat, Brent. It's not even. <laughs> <laughs> this is just like evident on the record. All the Soros DAs, look what they do. I mean, they, they're all big on having this, the no bail. You know, they, they get these guys back out on the streets, even the violent ones. The, the original idea of, you know, giving bail to non or no bail to nonviolent offenders, you know, when it's a minor crime. I understand that. That's fine. You know, you have a minor incident, you know, no bail. Okay. But when you're violent, when you're hurting people, when your you know charges are sex crimes, these kind of things, those people should be locked up, you know, and not given an opportunity to offend again between the time that they get caught for the crime and when they, you know, have we have the judicial uh, bandwidth for a trial. So I wanted to bring up this guy as well, um, Robbie Starbuck. I don't know if you've heard of him. Yeah, Probably great. So you know, after that shooting of of the Migos member happened, he put out a really, really great response to that. And he's someone who's worked in the music industry and he used to manage different rappers and, you know, helped put together their music videos and oh, that yeah. sort of thing. And he, he was basically making an open call to these rappers of saying like, we need to address these cultural issues and why these shootings keep happening and the fact that the music industry does not care about you doesn't care about black folks and very much promotes this glorification of violence and criminal activity and and all that stuff and he's like you know i know you guys i've met a lot of you guys you're good men you're family men like why do you go up there and and put on this display as if you're these like hard gangster types and in the end it doesn't benefit you it only benefits these corporations who are using you so, you know, I found that video very, very um, powerful. You know, anyone who hasn't seen it, I recommend you go look up Robbie Starbuck and go watch that video of his response to that recent shooting. But I just, you know, how do we deal with this? Like, is there is there a way to really address the cultural issues that isn't going to trigger the left and make them just automatically dismiss you and say, oh, well, you're not addressing this and this and that and racism and systemic this and that? Yeah, it's um, it's definitely difficult because the left is notoriously against self-accountability and criticism. 
uh, they take any and all criticism about a specific group of people and say, well, that's racist, that's anti-black, whatever. And, and, and they always want to redirect the conversation. What about them? It's like a child. If, you're, if you have two kids and you're disciplining one child, that child keeps bringing up what the other kid did. I'm not talking about little Timmy. I'm talking about you. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, it, it's, for me, the only thing that I think we could do at now is, is just to stop supporting it. Like the people that say, you know, uh, Black Lives Matter or black people are getting gunned down or whatever, or, or hate a gang violence. These are the people that are probably still supporting this type of music. They're going to the concerts, they're buying the music, they're, they're dancing to it in the clubs. Think of all of the folks these last couple of years who have been propped up by the Biden administration, like all of these rappers. Why are they propping up these people? Like if we listen to the lyrics, they're not good. Like they're actually very derogatory. So why, why are we doing it? And it's because people are uh, they are uh, products of their environment. And if that's all they listen to, you know, because we have to think about the bigger picture where the black community in particular has um, a lot of um, single parent households. Yes. And it's it's like this cycle where, OK, if you're growing up in a single parent household and then you go to the streets looking for more of a family, you get caught up in like the drug life or the or the gang life. And then you also you know, those these gangbangers, they're not listening to country on the streets, right? They're listening to to, to hip hop and, and rap. And and those that type of music is just keeping them in this cycle. And yeah, you're never going to get anything fixed. So yeah, see, I, 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 I listen to some hip hop and some rap. And, you know, I personally think there is a way for rappers to use the music itself to get through to those folks and maybe hold a mirror up to them yeah. and i feel like you know rappers like kendrick lamar have very much been trying to do that j cole you know those rappers where maybe if you listen on the surface it sounds like they're glorifying lifestyle but if you really listen to it it's like they're telling a story about how this is the environment they came out of and here is how destructive it is and here's why we need to get away from that and for many of them it was difficult to get out of that and that I sympathize with that, you know, I understand that. But I think, you know, who Robbie is addressing is these rappers who are singing about that lifestyle as if it like was somehow, like I said, glorious, like something that you should be proud of um, when maybe you shouldn't, you know, like. What's that one that's like Little Devil Worshipper? Who? Uh, he's the one that was like, had that music video where he was like humping the devil. Oh. He's black. Um, little not, no, not. No, not. I don't know. Does he count as a rapper though? Is that <laughs> it? It's like a memer. I don't even know. He's, rapper, he's also like an R&B artist. I, I don't know. But yeah, you know, the, this sort of imagery of just glorifying promiscuity and glorifying violence. and <laughs> Literal Satanism yeah, in his case. <laughs> but it's just like the reason why I bring up people like Kendrick is because they have songs that on the surface, it might sound like that that's what they're doing. But if you really get down to the nitty gritty of it, it's like, no, this is a warning. <laughs> you know, you're a warning people. Kendrick is also a, a rare bird. Though. He is rare. And there's a lot of indication in his songs, even that, that he possibly killed someone and something like that. That's a whole theory. He's never been like totally upfront about that, but there's a lot that's indicated that when he was young, he, perhaps made a mistake of that sort and that's one of the things that kind of redirected him and his path and now his latest record was just there was a lot of religious and christian themes on it which i think was interesting and got in the field from the bait 
No, well, I, I think this stuff is, is definitely, it's relevant, you know, it, I just, I wish there were more rappers who were trying to address these things in that way to use the art to then reach that community who perhaps normally won't listen to people like us. They are going to be more prone to listen to rappers. Yeah. I haven't, uh, I haven't listened to Kendrick in a while. Um, you know, it's funny you mentioned the whole Christian thing. I haven't listened to his new album, so I don't know exactly what it, what he's rapping about. But I know he, he was he was making like uh, some headlines because of I guess he was depicting himself as like Jesus on stage, which is not good. Uh, like like he was wearing like the thorn crown with blood and everything. It's really weird. The thing but, is, if you actually listen to the record and what he's saying in that album, he's actually saying the opposite of that. It's, so he's interesting. Saying this is how people view me. This is what they do to me. They idolize me as this voice of a generation. They expect me to comment on George Floyd and comment on this and comment on that. And the whole point of the record, really, the whole message of it when you get down to it is I'm not a savior. I'm just a man. That's really what he was saying on that album. So definitely listen to it, um, Mr. Morale and the Big Steppers. I think, you know, if people really delved into what he was doing in that album and the art, it has like the potential to like kind of heal the country. Mm. Some of the things that we're going through right now. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll take a look. Cause I think one of my gripes that I, I did have with him, it sounds like maybe things are shifting is it so sounded like he was race baiting a lot. Uh, you know, and, it, and, and I think that with the, with this conversation about like hip hop and, and how rappers should use their platforms to talk about like positive messages, there's also this, thing that's embedded in a lot of black people's minds and it's this idea that you're going to lose your black card yeah uh, because i think a lot of black people feel like they have something to prove if you don't fit in this box if you yes. don't support certain things so he agrees with you actually yeah. like i said if you get down to the nitty-gritty of the lyrics i'll have to check it out they realize like oh he's changed so mm. one of the things he did on this record was he brought another rapper on kodak black who you know really gangster hard type but like likes trump and was pardoned by Trump as well. And Kodak got, you know, canceled a lot for that. And Kendrick has more of a history of criticizing Trump and being against that. So I think it was a really powerful statement for him to bring Kodak on his record, have him do backing vocals, give him an entire track to himself mm -hmm. on the album. And he even has a lyric on there where, in the song Savior, where Kendrick says, you know, they like it when I'm pro-black, but I'm more Kodak black. Mm, okay. Is he's like he's saying that you know I'm more like this guy than you guys probably want to admit, you know. And he talks a lot about the you know cancel culture and these sorts of things and how it's it's destroying art in a way. So like I said, he's changed something about him. You know, he went silent for like two years, didn't talk about George Floyd, didn't post Black Square, and people were like, "Where's Kendrick? Where's Kendrick? Why aren't you commenting on these things?" And I think that drove him nuts because he wanted to step back and really evaluate what was happening in the world. And there were all these people who were making all these assumptions about him and what he should say and how he should think for being a Black artist. So, yes, it, I'm telling you, listen to the album, read the lyrics. I keep telling everyone, I'm like, it's it's good, it's powerful. Daniels is very into music. I do love music. Yeah. <laughs> nice, nice. So, <laughs> any other thoughts about the debate? Um, well, I, I guess I wanted to touch a bit on this whole idea of reparations again because uh. it, it constantly brought up. It was brought up a lot in the debate as well, and I don't get it. <laughs> I get it, but at the same time, I, I just, I think so much time has passed 
that it's no longer a viable solution. Maybe at one point it would have been. And I think the people who call for reparations still, a lot of those black folks feel that it wasn't truly given to them. And because it wasn't, that's why they're held down. And that's why they were never able to accept. It's, all, it's just bullshit and demands and narcissism and self-obsession. So what do you think of reparations? Way well, reparations are ridiculous. Honestly, like, and you're right, it got, it got brought up a lot during the debate and the way that i look at it is if if because one of the things rashad said uh that really struck a chord with me was when he said that cannot black people in america cannot move forward until reparations uh, until we get that and to me it's like okay well that is ridiculous because if you cannot move forward unless you get a paycheck something is wrong because you're 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 not you're not persevering and Sometimes we're not going to get what we want in life. Sometimes we're going to encounter situations that we might feel is just like, why is this happening to me? I think the most important thing is how are we going to overcome these obstacles that we face? And if you're too worried about, well, I didn't get a paycheck. What you're saying is you can't move forward. You can't get over it. You can't succeed without a paycheck. And that is a problem in itself. Yeah, it it also shits on all of the the black folks who have succeeded, have persevered. You know, I, the first, one of the first people who came to mind was Eric July. I mean, he had a ah. very successful crowdfunded campaign to launch his own comic book company and all that stuff, and literally carve his own niche out outside of DC, outside of Marvel, outside of these establishment controlled companies. And you know, if he would have just sat back and said, well. I can't do it without their help. I'm going to have to go into the, you know, into DC, into Marvel, find a job, be woke, you know, curtail my beliefs so I can make it and get the paycheck. He never would have pushed and, and did that on his own. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I just can't wait around for people to save you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it gets back to the thing that you mentioned earlier <laughs> is that the leftists are obsessed with the past. They want to use the past as a cudgel in order to beat everyone into complying with whatever their agenda du jour is today. And, you know, this is the thing that we see, like, every time they bring it up, they bring it up because they want to, it's emotionally manipulative, first of all. It's not an honest conversation. And this is the other thing that we see with the left. You know, people on the right, they want to actually debate the ideas. They want to talk about the facts. They want to compare notes. And, you know, if they're wrong about something, they want to be shown that so they can update their information. People on the left are like, I've been calling them like the lie people or the people like who speak in lies. They want to be affirmed. They want to have everything that they already have in their heads validated validated affirmed you know coddled whatever so that and and they will attack you if you don't do that because that's how they communicate we're looking at two fundamentally different types of operation in the world one that is based upon uh the ability to independently critically analyze information and draw your own conclusions and another one that doesn't have that capability internally and so they must glom onto a external thought system and or whether a, it's a true label not, that they put onto you like you know gothics is the problematic grifter like how dare you be a minority and like divert away from the way they <laughs> because think. Your, your 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 very existence yeah. assaults their inner narrative do you know adam coleman yeah yeah, we had him on the show twice Love as Adam. well. And one of the last things Gifted we talked writer. about one of the last things we talked about with him was this idea was, you know, that that he's blacking incorrectly. And this is this is basically what they, they act like is like, you know, if you don't align with this ideology 
um, you're not blacking right. There's something that you're doing. Incorrect. And Alexis, <laughs> Alexis, you know, remember saved for myself. She's very popular on yeah. Instagram. We had her on the show. She's a mom who is, you know, she's been told many times that she's not, she's not black enough or that she's, she's too white, which is like, you know, things you called that colorism. And I yeah. was just like, yeah, she, fascinating. She was talking about that sort of racism that came from her family and other peer groups who were black. Um, also partly because, you know, she's in an interracial relationship. She married a white man and he's, he's into things that are more stereotypically black. So he, he would be accused of the opposite that he wasn't being white enough, you know, for listening to rap and that sort of thing. So it, it was interesting because they kind of ended up complimenting each other in that strange way. And I guess they found camaraderie in that. Nice. Yeah. That's, uh, that's definitely something that I can relate to growing up hearing you're not black enough you're trying to act white and it's just it's so exhausting but again the, this is the long game of of trying to socially engineer black people or pretty much any demographic of people where they they share some type of characteristic trying to get people into this sort of a collective mindset and it's it's so regressive because yeah. if i if i ask people they say oh you're you're betraying your race because you you're pretending you're acting white or whatever. And if I asked them, okay, what is black to you? What is black culture? They can't give me an answer because whatever they say is going to sound racist. <laughs> yeah, they start regurgitating a bunch of stereotypes. Yeah. And, and what, <laughs> what, is, what is acting white as well? Right. <laughs> what is that? You know, is it, is it just not speaking in Ebonics? Like, does that mean you're acting yeah. white? You know, if, if you like rock music or metal music and those sorts of things, is that white? I mean, I I know bands that have black frontmen and black drummers and black. This is all. This is all just horse hockey. It's all just artificially contrived BS and lies that leftists who are stuck in a broken narrative have to project onto the world in order to feel comfortable within themselves. Yeah, and this is like the problem that we, you know, moderates. And you know, I, I'm I'm still identify as mostly liberal. Like there's a few things that I've gotten more conservative with over time, but I, I'll forever call myself a moderate or you know like a classical liberal. Uh, I'm not really conservative in a yeah. lot of ways, and I don't feel like I was pushed into that. I just you just feel that the left, Georgia, just kept going lefter and lefter, and then they just went off the cliff. And I'm like, I'm not following them. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> over that, that edge. That's been my experience as well. Although, and I'm a, I'm a moderate as well, but I do now acknowledge more that I think I lean more right. I lean more conservative and I'm willing to acknowledge that and not be afraid to say that. Although, you know, there are still things, certain values that I hold that would be considered maybe a little more liberal, but, and I bring this up on the show often and Jordan Peterson talks about this often is both perspectives are needed and you need them in this country to have a dialogue, to have a true society that isn't stagnant. If you're too far to the right and you know, you want to just conserve traditions exactly as they are with no room for innovation or change, you, you get a sort of rigid society and that's not good either, you know, but go too far to the left, no boundaries. Think, it's not even so much a throw going, morality it's, it's out not, the window. It's, it's not even going like, too far to me. It's that you, people with personality disorders have to be just acknowledged as such and excised from the conversation. Like, if you're like, like you know, Trump is like he's a narcissist. Like, and that blows my mind that we're we're not using that language more often. Or when it does get used, it gets kind of histrionic, and then they start calling him a Hitler. But then on the other the other time, Joe Biden's like a friggin', you know 
I can't even say it here because YouTube, the Communist Party will, will hit me. Well, the, the reason why I brought up this, why you need both perspectives is another. Yeah, but you, you need them to be not, you know, infested with people who have personality disorders sure, but and I, conscience problems. Personality disorders is another subject, and we definitely go into that and how the left is more ridden with those types. But ultimately, I'm talking about um, when, when Peterson talks about this, he talks about how people vote their temperament. You can look at someone's personality, like you can have them take the Big, big Five test, for example. And see, like, oh, this person's higher in conscientiousness, but lower in these traits, or this person's higher in openness to experience, but lower in these traits. And you can guess um, pretty accurately whether or not they will vote more liberal or vote more conservative. And what it comes down to is conservatives are, they do tend to be more conscientious. conscientious. They're better at running structures once those structures are already established and keeping things going the way they are. Whereas the liberal, they're more likely to innovate, to come up with the new ideas. They're the entrepreneur types, they're the creator of the creatives and the artists. Yeah, well, but the, po the point is you need both, but you yeah. need both to be psychologically <laughs> healthy and stable and not, you know, cuckoo banana yeah, style. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I agree. <laughs> well, well, you're someone who's been on both sides. So it's just yeah. like, I think you understand it. And you strike me as a creative person, as someone who's a little more artistic and, and the way you dress and express yourself. So, and you don't see a lot of that on the right side, you know? Right. And I think that needs to, that definitely needs to change. I don't know how it got this way. Like, as far as like the conversation not being dominated by one particular uh, ideology. I definitely see how that is like if we're just talking about the left, like the media and, and the education system has done a really good job of sort of building this worldview that everything is liberalism, left leaning, everything, everything. Like if you look at Hollywood, where it's like a political movie, who's usually the bad guy in these movies? It's usually people on the right, <laughs> you know, so. Uh, as far as like the creativity goes and stuff, yeah, I I wonder sometimes because like I recently became a Christian and I wonder if something has to do with people that uh, believe in God sort of, I think, by default going over to the conservative side. And then maybe there's this uh, there is this um, hesitancy to explore new things in the creative realm because uh, they're afraid of like, you know what I mean? Like they, they're. There's not enough flexibility there, whereas people on the left, they don't really believe in God. So they're just like, eh, no rules, do whatever. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I agree with you there. And I actually, I think more than anything, the, you know, the problems happening in this country can very much be attributed to, you know, and I was talking to my friend about this last week, but there's a, there's a God-shaped hole in a lot of people's hearts. And they're trying to fill that hole with all these other things. And I guess in some ways it could be, you know, their artistic pursuits or it could be sex or it could be drugs or it could be a political ideology or any of that. When I do think that there's a lack of spirituality and I'm, I'm not even saying you have to come at the subject from a Christian perspective, but just a sense of spirituality at all, a sense of that there's a, a bigger higher power something that we are all sort of connected to from which we come from which we will go and that lack i think is why the left has gone off the deep end and just latches on to all these other things whereas on the right they have more of a unifying stability by that belief in yeah. god they have a foundation because like i i, I can't even stop at saying a lack of spirituality because i've met some people that worship crystals and rub sage on on their body and they are the nastiest individuals <laughs> you know so it's like they don't they don't really have that foundation and 
and a lot of people who say i don't believe in god they'll they'll find a god out of something else you know they'll they'll worship a a, a social justice movement and make that their god um and it's and i think it's it, it sort of screams to like not having purpose either because when you don't have purpose you're gonna find your purpose in all of these cultural things and it's not always good yeah no no i i definitely agree with that um you know, I think there's also something to be said about the community and, and, and those sorts of things, the connections you make from attending church and that sort of thing. When I was younger, I attended church and then, you know, around 15, I stopped and I was just like, oh, I didn't fit in, you know, be, being gay and stuff also gives you a very complicated relationship with religion. And you tend to have that journey where you break away and then some return, some never return. Um, but I always held a sense of spirituality you know, I had a little brief atheist phase, but there was always something in me that knew there's there's a bigger, higher power that connects everything. And actually, I went to church again a couple of weeks ago for the first time in years. Um, it, was a, it was a Lutheran mass, too, which was interesting because I was raised Catholic. And they're basically the same. They're not really that different aside from like the two extra lines and the Lord's Prayer. What is a Lutheran? Educate me because I, I just go to non-denominational. I consider myself a Christian. Protestants, so yeah, <laughs> Reformation and all that stuff, the schism in the church, and basically they they try to go away from a lot of the trappings of the Catholic Church. Basically, and, yeah. the difference between the Protestants and the Catholics is the Protestants don't think that the Catholics could what write tickets to heaven. That that was that part was, of that it. was part I, of it, yeah. but that was the big. There was a whole lot of grievances. There was a lot of other things too. Yeah, but Martin Luther wrote a whole list, and he, you know, nailed them. And to then the door. I guess the Lutherans would be more of, of like his branch, right? Yes, but well, ultimately, you know, they felt the Catholic Church was too focused on like power and pomp and circumstance and like ritual. Yeah, ritual, and like they didn't think the Pope was like the intermediary between God and that sort of thing. They wanted Fuck the to, Pope. Go, to go oh. back to Scripture and that sort of stuff. Also, they you know they made their churches less ornate and stuff. They, you know, they started to go away from iconography, although that's not totally true anymore. I mean, they, you know, the church I was in had stained glass windows and that sort of thing. It's just, it's not as like gaudy looking, I guess, as some would say. Like, well, they don't got that, are. they don't got that Roman Catholic money. That's, that's, I guess. you want to talk about old yeah. money, girl. There's that but, Roman Catholic money. You know, I think whether you're Protestant or Catholic or non denominational, like, ultimately, there's, there's that foundation is what yes. we're talking about here and having that foundation is powerful it's important i was watching this video the other day on this channel called inspiring philosophy i don't know if you've ever seen this guy I might invite him on the show actually and he had a video it was called um is is christianity harmful was the video and he addressed some of the studies that are typically brought up by like secularists and atheists that try to link you know, um, being secular atheists to being like less likely to commit crimes and to kill and things like that. And then he acknowledged how they cherry pick those few studies, but ignore all of these other studies that actually show that people who are more intrinsically religious actually have a less less likely chance of committing crimes of, of being addicted to drugs, better outcomes, better outcomes, you know, they're, they're calmer. They find more of a sense of peace in their lives and an orientation to go towards. And he acknowledges the difference between, like I said, intrinsic religiosity and extrinsic re religiosity. And he found that 
the studies didn't really apply to the people who are extrinsically religious. And that Do you means, want to explain what that is? Yeah. So extrinsic re religiosity is basically the people who go to church more just because it's expected of them and it's their tradition. They go maybe for that sense of community. Or so they like do dis religious displays. Well, it's more just because they it's part of their family tradition or something like that, or they like the sense of community and connecting with people. Whereas someone who's more intrinsically religious, it's all it's about God. It's about practicing the religion as as good as you can, and it's 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 about actually following it, not so much just going for the sake of just going because that's what's expected of you. And the people who are more extrinsically religious, the studies didn't really show they had those benefits of you know less drug addiction, less crime. But the people who are intrinsically religious, who went truly because they were devoting themselves to God and wanted to practice the religion as closely as they could that's where you found those benefits you found they, they did have less depression and less yeah. suicidality and things like that and man atheists will never acknowledge those studies they they won't acknowledge it and if because i've i've made that um argument many times where and this is why like if we're just talking about like communism this is why karl marx said in his book he hates god he hate he wants to get rid of religion why is that <laughs> like wh why is that and that's because people that have that foundation in in those terms that you mentioned uh because i forgot how you even said it <laughs> intrinsic intrinsic <laughs> all right so people I, I if i can say it in a layman's terms i like to say fakers and actual believers because there's a lot of people that will say i'm christian but then they'll cherry pick what they believe in the bible like a salad bar like i don't like this i like this and they, they it's more of like a uh, a display of ritual than actually having that relationship with god and and so and this is where a lot of atheists will say well you know hitler was a christian no, <laughs> that's someone calling themselves a Christian. It's a big difference. Um, but yeah, it's I. that's totally, I have to check this channel out. It sounds very interesting, but I totally agree with that. Inspiring philosophy, it's called. Mm. Yeah, he, he has these uh, great little short videos too, where he like um, responds to people on TikTok who make these like typical claims and they never back them up with data. Like, you know, like, Christmas was just a pagan holiday or like, you know, Thanksgiving is inherently racist and then he'll actually address those things or like the new agers. He, he comes for them a lot as well. And which I sympathize with because I've been coming for them for years. <laughs> but um, all right. So now that we're on this topic of religion, I think it's a good lead in as well to the recent decision regarding Roe v. Wade and the mm. subject of abortion and we know that you can't really separate this debate from religion i i personally think it's impossible because most of the people who are on the pro-life side i think it's safe to say are probably religiously oriented and most of the people who are on the we'll say pro-choice side although they don't use that terminology anymore do they these pro-abortion are uh, not religiously oriented typically you know what are your thoughts about kicking this decision back to the states uh i guess that's a good i mean i think it's a good start um for for me uh i i used to be pro abortion and then i gradually started to shift my worldview to ah abortion's bad but i wouldn't get it yeah. uh and then eventually i ended up being like no, no no this is terrible but that was before i ever became a christian too um and i think that it is possible to separate the two. And I think by default, a lot of people on the left, they wanna 
use that as part of their argument because they don't have an argument. Yeah. They, they, they want to be able to blame this on your belief system uh, to dis discredit anything that you say. So I think it's personally, I think it's good that they uh, put it back to the states. But I mean, I, I, I like to say that if I have the capability to wave a magic wand and change the way America is, I would just get rid of abortion. And and I know that people will say, well, what about this and rape and all these things? I don't. I, I, this is my perspective on it is if you are responsible to have sex, you are responsible to have a child. And I don't look at uh, having a child as a consequence. I look at it as like um, the fruit or uh, the, the result of, you know, like I think if we as humans have the capacity to procreate, we should procreate anyway, because if we don't, we would you know, civilization would die. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So on our last episode that you were on with us, we went into depth about this topic and, and you talked about your journey and how your views changed over time. You know, so for anyone who's interested in that, go back to that first episode with Gothics. She kind of went into depth about that. But one of the things you said in that episode, which was probably the most controversial thing in that whole episode, was that your journey took you eventually to the point where you just you just started to say outright that you think abortion is murder. Yeah. And I did a poll on this on my Instagram a couple weeks ago. I did two polls actually. The first was, you know, is abortion murder? And, you know, most most people answered no, I think, but it was very close. And then I reframed the question to is abortion killing a life, which more people answered yes to. And I felt like a lot of people who were answering no thought it was killing still, but we're hung up on the legal implications of the term murder. So I kind of wanted to address that to you because technically, you know, in certain states, it's not illegal, right, to have an abortion. So to use the word murder and the legal implications of that would not technically apply. But you just you, you just outright use that word. Um, so why, you know, maybe go into that again for our viewers, like why you just decided to just say like, this yeah. is murder, like, because that's an extreme position to many. So uh, look at it. Look at it this way: If there was a, a woman that was nine months pregnant, she got stabbed to death. How would they view that in the court of law? That's in a lot of in a lot of cases, they say that's a double homicide because yes. they're yeah. counting the baby. Some people so, put that up too in the comments as well. In response to the other people who are bringing up the legal implications of murder, there's a contradiction there. Yeah. Yeah. It is. So I don't think that murder, uh, the, the way that I, it seems like people are trying to take this term and make it situational. Well, the intention is not to murder. The intention is to give a woman the right to choose. It's OK, <laughs> so I don't think that that's consistent. It's not it's not uh, it's just not consistent to me. Yeah. It's rationalization, really, is what it comes down to. Yeah. Uh, if you. Uh, frankly, I, I I agree with you. Like at, at a certain point, the thing about saying abortion is murder, it's almost like an argument um, that we should outlaw all forms of it nationwide. Because, and I think that's really what they—that's what they're afraid of, right? This is like the thing that Lindsey Graham said he wanted to do, which helped rile the Democratic base. It's one of the reasons why a lot of the young people got out and voted in the midterms. Um, you know, they're they're on this like 
you know, they're the Republicans want to make abortion illegal. And yeah, well, maybe a lot of them do. And maybe we should have that honest conversation about why, because there's a pushback there. Well, I mean, if you're killing a human life, that's murder, regardless of the circumstances. You know, sometimes we say it's uh, uh, what's it called? A manslaughter when it's an accident. You know, if it was an accidental abortion, you know, something happened, manslaughter. But like, this is the thing that they're afraid of. You know, they don't want women to go. We don't want to lock up women, you know, who have miscarriages. But at the same time, we don't want abortion to be institutionalized. You know, it is institutionalized murder when you look at it. It's an industry. They sell the parts of the fetus to pharmaceutical companies and uh, scientific firms for research. These are very rare, very high demand materials, research grade materials, stem cells, uh, all kinds of things they can only get from aborted fetuses. They they also don't want to acknowledge that. that conversation. They don't want to acknowledge that a lot of the pushback now against abortion is coming because their rhetoric has shifted as well and i I brought up i brought up adam coleman earlier and he wrote a really good article before you know the elections happened about why as a moderate he was voting republican for the first time and he brought up a lot of points in it most of which i all of which i agreed with i i would say and one of the points he brought up there was how the rhetoric around abortion has shifted from pro-choice to pro-abortion, which is a a totally different way of seeing it. And I've even seen people on Twitter, a lot of these lefty types, put pro-abortion in their bios, not pro-choice. It was supposed to be like safe, legal, and rare. And now it's just like, get abortions anytime, as many as you want. That's the problem. Glorifying it. Is this culture of encouraging it, where if you were, you know, back in the day when you were pro-choice, a lot of the people who identified as pro-choice would still not be the types who would like still encourage it. They, they would say, hey, you know, I don't like abortion, but I also don't want the government to be involved in a woman's <laughs> body. It's not that anymore. A lot of the rhetoric is becoming, well, just no matter what, you always have this right to do it no matter what. And I am pro-abortion. It's not about being It's pro-choice. like a sacrament yeah. to some of these people. It's disturbing. Yeah, it's uh, it's it is really disturbing, and and you're right. It's people are celebrating it now, and as you said, the rhetoric has changed for so long. How how often did we hear men don't have a say in this? But now we can't even define what a woman or a man is. So technically, you guys can are equally as included in this conversation, um, and uh, it's it's scary because. There, like in Rhode Island, you can abort up to nine months. So there's a lot of states that are doing this. It's that's disgusting to me. And the, it, the scary thing is like that in conjunction with okay, if we look at society and how they're promoting promiscuity and and hookup culture and everything, you can see how the cycle of abortion will keep happening because we have the tools available to us to not even have the abortion conversation. It's called close your legs and be a little bit more particular about who you want to have sex with, but nobody wants to do that. (laughs) So now we have that and then if you think about all of these social justice activists when they're screaming and yelling and calling everyone, you know, the, the word I won't say on YouTube, I don't want to get you banned, calling all of these words, right? 
what what do they do? They they justify acts of violence because those are the bad guys. And you're justifying an act of violence again, the most innocent being that cannot defend themselves. To me, that looks like a recipe for disaster. Like we're moving towards a society where a woman has a choice to uh, do whatever she wants with her body. Nine months, fine. Even after it comes out, I think there's, a, I forgot what state it was that uh virginia. that's okay now is it virginia it came up in virginia in a, a law and then it got shot down but there i think it might be california where they actually passed the perinatal abortion concept where you could actually put the baby put the baby down uh up to like it was two weeks or something after the birth of the baby if the mother's mental health was in question i'm like why wouldn't you just give it up for adoption there's so many people so many people looking for babies like that to be but you see the overton window is shifting so yeah. they're trying to make things more socially acceptable little by little by little and you don't have to be a rocket scientist to see what the end game for that is yeah so on my twitter poll there was someone who actually responded you know explaining their their answer and they compared a fetus to a parasite and yes that was my reaction too <laughs> right um <laughs> You know, I was just thinking, like, what kind of, of mind, you know, what kind of person could even make that comparison? For one, they, they were really serious about this argument. So, first like, of all, probably, just a little armchair right. psychology, probably somebody who was damaged heavily by their parents. Probably, but, like, they, were, they even, like, sent me, like, like, a, like, an article or a study or something that was, like, comparing parasites and how they behave to a fetus and how it behaves totally you know and he was adamant like they're the same thing and i'm like no they're not i brought up the definition of parasite and different a species it's a different species <laughs> that's latched onto another and feeding off of it but his whole his whole argument was that you know they can't survive on their own they have to feed off of the mother and use her body but i'm like dude even when a baby leaves the womb humans the so, way we develop for many many years after leaving the womb we are completely dependent upon our parents still to feed us and take care of us for years right after that so i'm just like based on your logic you could be arguing to like that you could kill a child years after they're you know out of the womb because they're still attached to the parent and need them to you know to eat and feed and all these other things i'm like you sound nuts right now so i had uh i had someone call up my uh, live stream the other day and tell me that they were trying to argue against abortion to their college roommate because their roommate suggested that um a, a baby is not a human life until it's able to form a human connection with someone yeah. <laughs> What does that even mean? Like, yeah, I have no idea. But I made the joke, like, I guess I'm not a human, like, throughout high school, because I wasn't connecting with nobody. <laughs> right? I was so misanthropic in my yeah. teenage, teenage years. Yeah, it's just, I, I wish the people who were just gung-ho about abortion would at least just be honest about it. And may, maybe they don't have to say it's murder, but at least say it, it is killing. You are killing a life and if they were more honest about it i but think i would, and that's I would what we respect see. their positions a little but more that's what we like, see with these people consistently they lie about everything like it's just a clump of cells it's constant yeah. equivocation it's a constant rationale reasoning uh misrepresentation and you know this happens on both sides of the aisle but predominantly, we're seeing a lot of this from leftists in, in the dialogue in the culture when it comes to these hot button issues these days. Like they can't even admit that the abortion thing just kicked the, the deal back to the states. And, you know, right now, as it stands, 
there are some states where abortion was is being enshrined in the in their constitutions, yeah. uh, and there are some states where it was automatically made illegal. And yeah. that's just you know, I think they the a, a lot of them are just dumb. They don't even totally understand what that decision entailed. Yeah, they a lot of low like, information. They just think like, oh, it's going to be banned everywhere. It's, and you'll know. We still we still don't know who leaked that decision early hmm. that was a conversation that you know, we're going to get to the bottom of this and then it got tabled and now it's quietly just not yeah. nobody like they'll, they'll probably never release it because there seems to be some two-party agreement going on here so it makes me wonder you know was it a conservative that leaked it or was it a, a democrat we don't really know that's a good point could have been either um do you want to move on to your other little topic here yeah so one of the other things that I really wanted to chat with you about was your your recent video on YouTube about quitting weed, quitting cannabis. Mm. And, you know, all the different reasons you talked about, which I found resonated with me because I have also recently quit cannabis. Um, this Thursday, I think, will be seven weeks off of it. And I feel good about my decision. I don't miss it. And I found, you know, my reasons were very similar to yours. Also, you posted something recently today. Apparently, they put an age limit on that video, correct? Yes. <laughs> you marked that as, you know. What? And, at the, you know, you said, YouTube, would you kindly ask your review team what they're smoking? I'm assuming, <laughs> assuming someone at the office is either high or stupid or suggesting a video about quitting weed isn't suitable for teenagers. Are you suggesting that wow. kids should be stoned out of their minds? So I thought that was interesting as well. But, you know, talk about that video and maybe what led you up to deciding to make that video and some of the things you said in that video, like your reasons why you felt you needed to let let this go. Yeah, I mean, so it's interesting because when I was in high school, I actually did not like weed because I saw what it was doing to a lot of my friends where they were just like becoming these zombies, like just zoinked out of their mind. And um, it wasn't until I, I got into the workforce and I started working stressful jobs like customer service that I started to say, you know what, I'm going to try a little bit of weed because I, I heard that it can help with stress and everything. And as I got older, I kept um, in, in putting more of that into my diet, like especially when I became a content creator, I was still working full time at customer service jobs. So I was like, OK, now I need more weed because I, I'm getting even more stressed out. I got to deal with the Internet and I got to deal with these angry phone calls. <laughs> and I realized that I think it was maybe like the beginning of this year, I got super depressed. But I mean, depression I had always dealt with throughout my life. But uh, I think something about just like the political uh the, the political environment that we're in the great reset new world order all that stuff i started started to feel very depressed and anxious and i was like okay how do i fix this so uh i just kept numbing with that and as well as trying to go to therapy antidepressants anti-anxiety meds which is a totally different conversation but it, it kind of ties into this whole i was just numbing stuff and instead of actually dealing with the problem um and uh it honestly the, the the true answer of why i was able to even quit was god because if i, I didn't gonna, I, I was going to ask you that if if your you know your faith and your newfound you know interest in christianity and stuff had anything yeah to do with it. yeah it definitely spearheaded it so so for context back in january um my church that i i had just started going to 
um, the month before, they were doing like a 21 day prayer and fasting cleanse. And I, I was not a believer at that point. I just said, let me go, let me go to church and see what this is about. Okay. And I said, okay, 21 days of praying and getting rid of something that I, I don't, uh, I shouldn't be consuming too much. So I said, okay, uh, coffee, social media, and weed. Got that out of my diet. At the end of the month, I felt like a million bucks. I was like, wow, this is so great. This is awesome. And then a few months later, I, I, uh, I gave my life over to Christ. I fully committed. And I was like, this is awesome. And then shortly after that, I started putting weed back into my diet. And it was like, I, I have friends that smoke weed, so they'd come over, hey, do you want an edible? And then I would try to justify it in my mind, like, oh, you know, it's the weekend. I'm just gonna have one edible. And, <laughs> and, and next thing I know, I'm, I'm fully back on weed. And I'm like, what the hell happened? <laughs> so, so it took me um, an, another conversation of me praying to God saying, I really wanna get this out of my diet. Can you please help me? Because I have trouble like fighting off this temptation and it's after that, I was like, I'm good. I, I don't have the desire for it. I can drive past the dispensary and not feel like I have to do a quick detour anymore. Like it's just gone. Um, but yeah, that was, um, like I said, my main reason was I just, I was using that as a crutch for so long. And I think in, in a lot of cases, it made me complacent with issues that were going on in my life. And instead of facing those issues and saying, okay, how do I actually address these things? So I, I had quit once before. Um, I think this was around 2017, 2018. I, I quit for two and a half years. I went cold turkey. And I remember, I think it was on like Christmas or Christmas Eve. I was smoking with, with some friends. I think Brent was there. And I was just like, yeah, I think I'm going to stop this for a while. And I just went cold turkey. And the first couple of weeks are always the hardest. You know, there's definitely like some irritability and things like that. And I don't want to say it's the same as like withdrawal that people go through like from alcoholism or heroin or something like that but there's definitely a, a irritability and a, and a change in you for a bit before you readapt to just being sober all the time so i stopped for two and a half years and then i started again and i thought you know all right this time it'll be different you know my relationship with it will be different i'll have more control of it i won't do it all the time i'll only do it on occasions and it was good for a bit you know, here and there. And then I know I just started to slowly fall back into my old habits of, you know, anytime it was around, I would do it. Anytime it was a social situation, it's like, yeah, you know, this is what we do to bond and all that stuff. And then I did start to realize this year that much like you, this was a, a coping mechanism now, a, a crutch that something that was, I was using to numb or to avoid facing certain issues in, in myself, in my life, in my upbringing. Um, and just to not have to think about it or to just escape into that. And then one of the things you also brought up was about like content creation, you know, like you started to f feel like you need it to get stoned before you would like work on your videos or do a new video and that sort of thing. And it's the same thing for me. Like I, I would start to feel like, Oh, I need this to be creative. I need this to paint. I need this. And when you don't, you know, and I think when you start to get to that point where you're relying on it to be creative, that's bad. Like, how creative are you really if, if you need to ingest a substance in order to work, right? In order to produce yeah. something. So that was one of my reasons as well that I felt resonated with me when you talked about it. But I, I can see how this, you know, the religious thing is one of the main reasons that you quit. You know, like I mentioned earlier, that God-shaped hole that a lot of people have in their lives and they're, they're we're trying to fill it with all these other things, right? Instead yeah. of just facing that reality that there's 
maybe a deeper foundation that we can find without relying on any substance at all. Um, you know, whether it's pod or, or food or games or sex or whatever it is. And, you know, and those studies that found like people who had that intrinsic religiosity were less likely to be addicted to drugs, were less likely to be depressed, were less likely to turn to things like that to deal with their problems. Yeah. So, you know, your video really resonated with me. And, and it's funny because like, I felt like it happened at a time when I like needed to see it, you know, because I'd been going through that recently and having quit recently, I was just like, well, it's like divine intervention. I'm about to talk to gothics and whoa, <laughs> this video is this video about this very thing that I'm going through right now. So um, maybe Brent can give an alternative perspective here as someone who uh, still smokes. Look at him. He's just <laughs> beaming right now. <laughs> I will never stop smoking. Really? Never, I may take breaks never. from time to time, but it will always be a recurring uh, feature of my existence. It's the How same thing. How do you know that? How do you know that? Because I, 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 I don't. Used, I feel like I, don't. I used to say that too. You know, it's myself. possible. It may, you know, it, it may not be. And I'd be fine with that too. I go through periods where, you know, when I was working this job that I had recently, you know, I was going, you know, all day, no problem, not smoking. Um, but then as soon as I got home, I was like, okay, need to relax, gonna do that. As it, it helps me unwind in the evenings. But do you need it to unwind? No, I don't need it, but I prefer it. It is my preferred, uh, you know, short, you know, quick slip into dissociative relaxation. I guess my next question would be, do you feel like in any way you're avoiding facing certain things about yourself, perhaps? that I mean, aren't we all just avoiding, <laughs> you know, something, you know? Typical evasive answer. Well, I'm just saying, I mean, sure, I'm, 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 there probably are things that I'm avoiding dealing with, but is the weed really that, is, is that the obstacle for me to deal? No, I don't think so. Um, I, I don't think I have the same response to uh, substances that a lot of people do. I have no problem. Like, I don't really get what I would call addicted. Like, I, I can just pick it up and put it down. I feel like we all tell ourselves that, though. I, yeah. I have to agree. I have to agree. Like, um, I don't know. I, I think, as you said, you needed to like, well, you, you like, you prefer it to unwind and relax. But wouldn't it, wouldn't it feel better if you were able to do that without having to consume weed? It would feel better if there weren't an external stimulus that drives me insane because I'm thrust into a situation. Maybe that's it, though. Maybe you need another way of how to deal with those things so well, that they don't become a Well, burden. so in this situation, I was sort of smoking on the end of it uh, in order to unwind, but it didn't impede in my ability to realize this is a toxic situation i can't you know that keep up this pattern of behavior over long periods of time uh i need to gtfo and so i don't think the weed really you know interfered with that i think it was more i've just matured to the point now where i can see toxic situations especially work environments or professional environments where the red flags come hot and heavy early it's like okay get out well sure but do you think maybe it could be impeding in other things, you know, maybe preventing you from putting that time and energy and focus in other things. Like one of the things for me, another reason why I quit was I just found, and I, and I never stopped reading when I was smoking, but I do more reading when I'm not smoking. And I definitely, I comprehend and remember what I'm reading more. But I, a lot of it too is just like being able to focus on one task at hand at a time. And one of the issues that I was personally having was 
pot made it harder for me to do that. You know, I would end up juggling different things instead of just being like, all right, I'm going to do this. But, but finish is it, that, is that marijuana's fault, Daniel? Or um, is that your natural tendency to juggle a lot of things? Let's just look at your tabs for right sure. now. Sure. <laughs> He's got umpteen million tabs, whereas I've got like I'm not, a dozen. Okay, I'm not saying that that has nothing to do with my personality. You but think the weed made it worse? Of course it did, because I'm seven weeks off of it, and I can tell you from that experience that it's been much easier for me to focus on each task at hand and to complete that before I move on to the mm -hmm. next thing, instead of allowing my mind to like juggle all the different things that I have to do, and then I end up not getting a lot of them done, and then I just freak out, I get more anxiety, that, that sort of thing. Mm. Um, I wanted to bring up a Bible verse because I thought it was a, a fascinating one and you brought it up in your video. Um, I think you referenced it at some point and it was, it was one Corinthians six twelve, and it was all things are permitted for me, but not all things are beneficial. All things are permitted for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. There are different translations of this verse. Sometimes I think they use the word, law and lawful. There's so many good little gems in the Bible. Like people really just like, talk about smack about the bible because you know it's the bible but there are so many little gems that are just like beautiful rhetorical yeah. compact and bits of knowledge so the international standard version is everything is permissible for me but not everything is helpful everything is permissible for me but i will not allow anything to control me and i think that really speaks to the issue here. It's, it's like, yes, we can do this. We can ingest the substance. Maybe it's even helpful in certain periods to an extent. But when it gets to a point where it's every day and it's like controlling you almost, and it's your master now. It's a compulsion. Yes. And so I think that switch to just being like, well, no, no one is my master but God. Yeah. <laughs> It makes it much easier to let those things go. I can also, I could totally grok an addiction being sort of unholy, for lack of a better term. Uh, from the idolatry standpoint, you're sort of putting something on a pedestal, on yeah. a pedestal before God, becoming obsessed with it. Um, so yeah, I could definitely see that. Yeah, and one a lot of the, really quick, one of the things that before I've I even started uh, contemplating this journey with God. One of the things that I remember talking to my friend about, because he asked, like, okay, you're depressed. What are you doing to help with your depression? I said, I've tried everything. I would always find myself saying that. I've tried everything in the sense of antidepressants, weed, therapy, new age, juju, whatever. <laughs> and, and in retrospect, I didn't try everything because that conversation about God, I was like, eh, mm, don't want to, don't want to do it. Yeah. So, um, you sort of yeah. ruled it out without trying it. Yeah, and exactly. And there was a there was another scripture I think goes really hand in hand with the one that you just read. I forgot what verse it is, but it says something to the effect of, uh, "Be sober minded and be watchful, because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking mm -hmm. someone to devour." Because mm -hmm. if you think of how someone acts when their mind is clouded by weed or their mind is cloud clouded by um, alcohol there's a chance that they could get swept up in doing something that is, is bad, right? Like you're not going to get behind a wheel and drive if you're drunk for obvious reasons. <laughs> yeah, it makes it easier for you to make, I guess, stupid decisions. What, what I will say, though, is like I'm not going to say there's no value in altered states of consciousness. Even, even in you know, being drunk from alcohol, I think there are, there are certain things we can learn 
about how we perceive things by being able to alter the consciousness and know the difference between that and the difference between being sober all the time and viewing things that way. And yeah, you know, pot helps with creativity. It might make you think in a different way or look at something in a different way where you might not normally have done so. The problem is when, like I said earlier, you rely on it to get that creative perspective and you don't realize when maybe you've gleaned everything you need to glean from the experience at that you've already like, all right, is there any other way to look at the situation while using pot? Probably not. Like I've used it to the point of excess now and there's probably no need to do that anymore. Like I've taken mushrooms a couple times and I remember the last experience I had, which was years ago, it was an intense experience. And me and my friend, by the end of it, there was this sort of, um, I had this like sort of feeling like, I don't think I need to do this again. <laughs> kind of like, I think I've learned what I want to learn about this state of consciousness. And like, I'm fine with that now. I don't, I don't think I need to uh, experiment or explore that. That, that happened to me again. after my fifth acid trip. <laughs> That's so, also interesting yeah. story. The yeah. Uh, a, a really intense acid experience is one of the reasons why I know God exists or what we call God exists as, as a real practical extra spatial dimensional force. Yeah. But my problem with that whole thing is that like, there are a lot of people, especially in the new age movement where they start to develop this, this idea that the only way to like peer into the spirit realm or to get that insight into the bigger picture is through the drug and yeah you can meditate but it's yeah, that's what i mean it's like it's almost like a shortcut it's almost like cheating and i think for some people they're like their brains probably aren't even ready for that to peer beyond the realm and to look at things in that sort of plastic flexible way and you know there there's also like people if you have like a predisposition to schizophrenia and things like that it could it could exacerbate that or you know activate that epigenetic predisposition in the person and even weed can do this an excessive amount especially of edibles edibles have extremely psychotropic effects and you know newbies people that don't you know you know young people you know they think they're oh i'll just eat an edible no big deal you know and yeah. you take 100 milligrams edible as somebody who doesn't you know, regularly smoke, you are getting blasted yeah. for a while. Yeah. If you have a propensity for, you know, emotional issues, like all that's going to come up. It probably so will. Yeah. It's well, not, it's not for everyone. And this is the thing I think with, with weed and addiction in general, you know, we all have sort of like what I think of our life lesson plans or, and, and there are different lessons thrown into the mix. And for some of us, we have to learn how to disengage from a substance. We have to learn how to manage a substance, or we have to learn how to av completely avoid a substance altogether because it's just, it's, it's impact on us is so negative. And that varies across, you know, drugs and food and all kinds of things. And I think each of us has a different palette of lessons and right now i don't think me quitting weed is super big priority in my overall lesson plan. yes but you also said you never would and i think that that kind of definitive statement is perhaps a little dishonest with yourself because you don't know that you don't know what you're going to be like two years from now five years from now ten Correct. years from now so to be that like sure like i'm never quitting this i don't know i wouldn't be so sure <laughs> well some future version of me that is not the current version of me may change his perspective on the issue yes. okay so it's not never right well it's it's never for right now it's never for right now you know my, my thinking may evolve <laughs> 
Well, look, disclaimer, and you know, Gothics gave a disclaimer in, in her video as well. We're not over here preaching to people saying like this is what you should do or you shouldn't do. Um, you know, we're simply sharing our experiences. You know, I'm and it's fun. I think it's helpful also to to play with the ideas to 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 give different perspectives to have a conversation because I think it gives people different ways to think about things that they don't necessarily. You know, maybe we're exposing some potheads to some reasons they need to slow things down. Yeah, well, or but they don't want to acknowledge that. And this is the thing, Gothics, also you brought up in your video, is there is a dishonesty around the conversation with pot. And a lot, and I was like this well, too. Well, there's just dishonesty around all the conversations. Yes, but I'm talking about <laughs> pot. I'm talking about cannabis right now. And I was like this too when I was younger, where you just kind of, oh, it's medicinal, it helps with this, it helps with that. And there there's this sort of um, avoidance of acknowledging that there are any negative consequences to this at all. And you talked about this in your video. So, you know, discuss that a bit, like, you know, some of the backlash that you get from people who try to, I guess, maybe justify it or just sweep that stuff under the rug. Yeah. I think that to me, if you're willing to sweep the side effects of consuming cannabis under the rug, that just sounds like a drug addict trying yeah. to just hold on to their drug. Like, don't get in between me and my weed. And yeah. I used to be the exact same way. I totally get it. Um, but the, the, the argument that I give is if I were to walk into a dispensary and say, what do you have for me that's going to help me sleep? It's going to help me with depression and stress. Rest assured, 100% of the time, I'm going to walk out with something. Someone's going to give me some type of product but they're never going to tell me hey by the way this could happen if you take this this yeah. is a side effect because often i'll hear from people and say well because with that video in particular a lot of people overlooked the part where i said don't preach to me about why you smoke do, do you you know what i mean they overlooked that part um and 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 the most common response that i was getting was weed doesn't affect everyone in the same way you are absolutely right, which is why the label that I read where it says limited information about the side effects of cannabis is is unknown. That needs to be uh, talked about more. So if there's limited information about the side effect, then why are we only talking about the benefits that we may or may not even experience equally? It's money. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, there's a huge problem with informed consent across the board in the country, especially when it comes to weed, but also when it came to very recent uh, controversial medical interventions that were hoisted upon us by, uh, you know, medical authorities, need I say mm -hmm. no more, as well as uh, puberty blockers, mm -hmm. hormones and those sorts of things. It's the same thing. It's like there's this, you know, the people who push that stuff and are really adamant about it and look, oh, all these benefits and it's, you know, it's helping these trans kids not kill themselves and stuff. They refuse to acknowledge any negative yeah, all of these weed dispensaries should have big signs up that say you know may cause schizophrenia or <laughs> schizophrenic like episodes in some people yeah. because if you go in there thinking oh it's safe it's legal you know i'm just gonna get a little edible it'll be fine and you get too much you know you're inexperienced you don't know what you're doing maybe they oversell you maybe the person you're talking to behind the counter is a pothead and so their tolerance is way higher any of these things could happen. We need to have informed consent. Yeah, well, th this is the thing, though. It's like one of the things they'll acknowledge, and I acknowledge this too all the time, is that like consumption-wise, when it comes to like overdosing, yeah, it's safe. People don't overdose on pot. 
and that's typically what they're going to respond to you with like oh it's not dangerous you know generally i can consume a lot of this and i'll just get really hungry and sleepy and that's true you know in that respect yes it is not as dangerous as alcohol alcohol it's much easier to overdose on that and to actually die from consuming too much cannabis you i think like you would have to ingest something like three times your body weight or something toxicologically you can't actually poison yourself but what you can do is eat a little too much have a bad psychological reaction episode and you know hurt yourself or you know permanently damage your your mental health you know down the line well because you know avoiding dealing with other issues and things that are going on with you like gothic said it's like it's that numbing that escapism and yes there are many things you can turn to for that you know people turn to all sorts of things video games and food and sex and there's all forms i love all those things yeah (laughs) but but to not acknowledge that pot is also a form of that you know, yeah. from people who are big advocates of it, it's a dishonest conversation. And then there's yeah. the, the the problem too about having honest honest conversation about marijuana and schizophrenia or other problems, is that you've got the legalization crowd being like, "Oh, shush! You're gonna you're giving yeah. the conservatives, you know, the people that want to keep it illegal, talking points." No, we're just having an honest conversation. Like we have to, you know, step away from this. Like you're letting the other side score points. You know, I, I'm not. No. I'm being honest because to really have true progress we have to have everybody on the same page with accurate information and and really that's what the psychopaths in charge don't want and that's that's why they censor conversations that's why they avoid you know they have all their major media pump out nonstop lies right, i'm gonna get conspiratorial with brent now a little bit do you think that you know those elites in some way might want to push more pot onto our society more cannabis use. absolutely because it makes people absolutely 100 maybe more complacent maybe less likely to fight the system less likely to you know to stand up and speak their minds because they just figure yeah what the hell i'm gonna just relax right now and put this netflix show on and get high totally i agree 100 yeah it's also a money-making thing there's you know it's a burgeoning industry it's very hot right now um you know, there's a lot of people that are able, if you have the connections in your state, the moment that it becomes legal, you are primed in a in excellent business position to turn, you know, a million dollar investment to a hundred million dollar business. And to clear the record, I do acknowledge the medicinal uses for it in a lot of different cases. And there are definitely, well, people- that was the other, you know, that's a huge thing that we've for yeah. years and years and years, the medicinal benefits of marijuana have been maligned, ignored. Yeah. And now we're seeing the opposite. We're yes. seeing this transition where they're being oversold overemphasized, and yeah. overemphasized. And when, now how many people are really using it to, you know, deal with like their Parkinson's schizophrenia or, yeah, or not schizophrenia. Like um, what's there was a, there's seizure disorders, epilepsy, epilepsy. Crohn's disease. You know, I know people who've had Crohn's disease where it's helped or, uh, them as well. HIV related wasting, you know, people that have trouble keeping all weight. Appetite. Yeah. You know, very rare. All right. So that's one of the other things I'm going to bring up. I guess that's my final point of why I stopped smoking was I, I felt I was relying on it too much to increase my appetite. And I've been trying to gain more weight. I've been working out and I've always had trouble eating enough. And I found that, you know, when my when my mood is crappy and I'm in a bad mood, I would lose my appetite. And I started to rely on pot to mitigate that in some way, not realizing that the pot was not, you know, it was 
preventing me from addressing the roots of the depression, which were actually preventing me from increasing my appetite. So in vicious in, cycle, in a sense, it actually wasn't helping with my appetite. It was sort of just helping in that temporary fix, but not in a long-term fix. And over the last seven weeks, you know, I've held my weight up. Actually, I, I've actually been able to eat normally, um, maybe even a little better than when I was smoking. So that was just this lie that I was telling myself that I needed it to increase my appetite. It wasn't what I needed at all, you know? Mm. Yeah, that's interesting because when I was depressed, uh, I would smoke weed and I also didn't have an appetite. And um, like you can even tell like in my earlier videos, I I weighed a lot less and you like you can tell on my face. But like the difference is back then I was relying on weed to help me gain an appetite, but it actually wasn't even working for me. <laughs> Whereas now I'm off weed. I'm just like, I like food again. <laughs> it's It's weird. Well, it is weird. People react differently to stress and depression. Like there are the people who have the opposite issue. They, they stress, stress eat. Yes. You know, when they're feeling down, they they turn to food. Their appetite, I guess, goes up and they consume to get that comfort. Whereas I always had the opposite problem, you know, like it would tank my appetite. It would go away. And, and now, you know, I'm finding that's not so much the case anymore. And, you know, I've been depressed a bit over the last week here and there, and I'm still eating, you know, and it's, it's, Something in me has changed, I guess. And I don't know if it's because the pot is gone. I'm not relying on that anymore. And now I'm actually dealing with the roots of that depression. So I'm not like falling back on this like lie that, oh, you know, I, I have to feel good to eat. Like that's bullshit. But also, you know, maybe my returning to God a little more, which I never totally let go. But I feel like over the last month or two, I've definitely developed a closer relationship with god in a way that i haven't before and i'm realizing like that foundation is definitely a much healthier better foundation for me to fall back on than a substance totally i agree i think that's a good good point to wrap it up yes wait how much how long did we go oh uh, hour and 24 minutes about an hour and 24 minutes um do you have any final thoughts on this subject and and, and maybe like has there been any you know, people who push back against you in your personal life. I like, assume, you sure you I assume gothics gets, she's so, you get pushback and everything you do, everything you know, controversial, it inspires so much back. I think this is like wait, your third cancellation, your fourth, something I've like lost that. track. I don't even count anymore. I'm just like, I can just breathe and they'll be like, what did you say? <laughs> so it's a, it, it, wow, it, what are you doing now? <laughs> literally. No, I mean, it's like, I like to take what Jordan Peterson says in order to be able to think you have to risk being offensive. You know, I do not intend to upset anyone with anything that comes out of my mouth. Uh, but if that means that your offense could spark some type of dialogue, I'm willing to do that. I'm willing to participate in that because that's how we grow as a society. That's how we learn. That's how we challenge our own ideas. And um, I think that you know, people just got to be more comfortable having difficult conversations and, and not being so caught up on how it hurts my feelings. Because, again, that that could just be shutting people down and canceling and all that stuff that that to me tells, uh, I think, paints a bigger picture at how uh, how much people lack emotional resilience where they can't even entertain an opposing opinion without saying, I, I don't want to hear this, that 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 should be a reflection on you. 
Yeah. That's been something I've noticed in my, uh, my in clients. I've had difficult uh, I'm nannying experiences where clients were just behaving in the most inappropriate, outlandish ways, uh, you know, mostly across all ages, but mostly younger kids. And what stands out for me is that that's this tendency to be so fragile, yeah. to not be able to hear the word no, or, you know, to be sh- be told this is the way that the evening is going to proceed. Uh, you can comply or there will be consequences yeah. for your misbehavior. Zuby had a great tweet a couple days ago. I think he's on a little Twitter break right now, which I should do and take a leave from that. But he tweeted, not being able to maintain basic politeness and civility when faced with disagreement is a sign of immaturity. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. 100%. And, and you see it because with these people late, they get when they're, when they're confronted with these uh, perspectives that they can't handle, they don't want to argue with, they just want to shut down. They have very childlike reactions. Yeah. And this is something that I saw firsthand when I went up to Vermont uh, to do this protest in Burlington with Fred Sargent and the Disaffected podcast. And these kids would, you know, make noise, block signs. You know, they didn't want to have a dialogue, they just wanted to have these really immature. Uh, really pathetic reactions that are just what you would expect from small children. And here you're seeing the behavior from adults and you're like, oh, our problem is so much more deeper than we realized culturally. We've got a bunch of, you know, physically they're adults, but psychologically and emotionally, they're stunted at like early teenage levels. Maybe less. Could possibly even less. What you just said, there's there's this technique called the, I think it's called the, the bite technique and it's it's pretty much a way to um recruit people into a cult and there's different stages of it and one of the stages talks about trying to control their um, emotions and their their ability to think and some of the tactics that people use is try to encourage um reacting with noise or repeating slogans because when you do that you block out an opportunity for you to think rationally about something if all you're doing is just like you're not you're not thinking like this you know it's like plugging ears like la 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 la. i can't hear you can't hear you is basically like that yeah so immature yeah, well, there was a recent protest uh, a woman's rights protest i guess i'm so miffed i missed it sex-based rights and it's here was... in new york down at city hall uh kelly jean k uh aka parker po- posey parker yeah she was here to, to with a bunch of other women yeah, they were libby edmonds like she was supposed to speak and libby didn't even get to speak because of the interruptions that happened but you know these these counter protesters showed up and some of them just took their shirts off and had their tits out and stuff and and just like screaming, making noise, like, you know, the vitriol, noise- vulgar, you know, the, the filth that and was it, just being ejected from. It was both, too. There was one I saw at least one trans woman and one trans man. But it reminded me of, of a temper tantrum. You know, yes. when, when I see that sort of behavior, like. Like you can go there and just hold your sign up and just be like, this is my point of view. But when you're there and you're screaming in this sort of way and you're trying to silence the other side or to block them with your flags to make sure no one can see them. One, it's 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 the cycle of insanity you talked about. You're actually attracting more attention yep. to them. Strays and effects. Um, two, it's just it's it's childish. You're not actually getting your point across and saying, here's what I stand for. 
you're you're throwing a temper tantrum and saying, "Why am I not getting my way? How dare you not agree with us?" And that's what it looks like from from these lefties. You know, it's just it looks like kids throwing themselves on the ground and flailing their arms around and no. throwing a temper tantrum. <laughs> very very concerning. <laughs> Um, do you have any, are there any events coming up? Are you doing any more live things that you, you can, uh, let people know about yeah, or is on the graphics agenda? I don't have anything on my agenda. Honestly, I haven't been uploading as much. Cause I'm just like, I feel like I'm just repeating everything. Like the world is going to shit. People are crazy. It's just, that just is what it is. We all know this. Um, but yeah, I mean, just bring on the giant rocks, man. Seriously. Just... It's like, I'm ready. <laughs> um, you know, Gothics TV, you can find me on YouTube and Twitter, assuming YouTube doesn't get sick of me putting out, I don't know, I don't know what they're looking yeah, for. We our second strike yeah. for some old content. Yeah. I went through a back catalog and nuked like 90% of our stuff because yeah. I didn't want to risk, you know, a third strike, a third strike and having wrong. the channel get completely deleted yeah. so and that would every, be and everything's already yeah. it's backed up on you know rumble and odyssey and stuff but it would be a bummer because folks are wondering where our old content went that's it's on yeah. rumble and odyssey it's a bummer though because we lost most of our views because we had to delete a lot of that stuff and and it would definitely be a bummer though if, if the channel got nuked like we just passed a thousand subs and it took like a year and a half to even get there so we're just like but if it happens it happens you know we don't really know what to do about that like we try to be careful but on some of those earlier episodes we were definitely we were a little bit more shooting from the hip because it was (laughs) early and it didn't really matter we're "Eh, we're not monetized we also didn't even know you know like it was gonna grow yeah we could just be viciously targeted too and that's what happens you know and i'm sure you get flagged for mass reports and all of a sudden it's like they're coming for you yeah, I mean, just it's good that you have Rumble, you know, keep up. Um, I think I would say keep promoting it because you never know. Like every time I upload a video, I'm just, this is why I'm I, I don't really try to censor myself in videos. I'm like, if it's going to happen, if it's going to happen. Just like, just let me know now, um, you know, because it's uh, we're, we're, we're sort of at the mercy of this platform. Any anyway, whatever they decide is yes. the rules are. My first channel got nuked with no strikes on it. It had, you know, no warnings, no nothing. And they nuked it. On my birthday, <gasps> in like 2021, I guess it was last year. Yeah, it was my 39th birthday. I woke up and it was like, yeah, the, the It's Brentley channel is gone and it's never coming back. And multiple, you know, I think they said I was cyberbullying. My last episode was talking about Joe Biden's predilections towards the youth. So I guess that's a forbidden subject. So you were cyberbullying Joe Biden? I was cyberbullying hey. Joe Biden. Possibly also, you know, some drag kids that I use by name. YouTube really doesn't like it when you mention people by name if you're criticizing them in any way, shape, or form. So I have to uh, get, I had to get out of get out of that habit. Wow. But anyway, if you want to support me criticizing people by name or not, you can, you know, make a donation to uh, the Venmo and uh, Cash App link below. Really appreciate that. Thanks for watching. Don't forget to like, comment, subscribe, share the show with your friends. Also, check out Gothics' channel. She is amazing. We love her. Twitter, Gothics TV, and all the links around Gothics TV. And thank you so much for joining us again. We really appreciate the time. And, you know, I always find your insights really um, apt. Well, thank you. Thank you so much, guys. Thanks for inviting me. No problem. We'll do it again. Take care. All right. Bye. 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 Bye.